Hello and welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host, Shane Lee. Today on the show, Dick Smith, an Australian entrepreneur, record-breaking aviator, philanthropist and political activist. He's the founder of Dick Smith Electronics, the Australian geographer and Dick Smith Foods. In 1986, he was awarded Australian of the Year and in 2015, Companion of the Order of Australia. And Brad Timmons, an Australian digital media executive working across press, television and digital platforms. He's the founder and managing director of eGen Sports, pairing digital gaming and talent with brands and audience. Let's get started. Welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host, Shane Lee. Today on the show, Dick Smith, an Australian entrepreneur. Welcome, Dick. Oh, great to be here. Mate, fantastic. And Brad Timmons, an Australian digital media executive. Welcome, Brad. Hey, Shane. G'day, Dick. Good on you, Brad. Now, Dick, thanks for having us at your home here. We've just seen your, your helicopter <laughs> as well, mate. It's boys and his toys. I love it. Um, I, I want to start with- um, That's a business tool. I, I, of course it is. I love it. Of course it, it is. <laughs> but I, I want to start with, um, I grew up down the South Coast and- uh, I remember going to Dick Smith Electronics um, from the age of about five. Um, Mum and Dad would say, what do you want for Christmas? And we'd go in there and look at all these electronics. So you've been sort of in my life for many years, mate. So it's, it's great to finally meet you. Fantastic. Mate, I, I don't know where to start with you. Um, firstly, maybe just talk about your – where does your sense of adventure come from? A sense of adventure came as a kid. I, I was brought up in a Sydney, northern Sydney suburb of Roseville, lots of bush around. And my mum had this one rule, and that was when I got home from school, I had to change out it was two rules, change out of my school uniform and be back by dark. And so I disappeared into the bush and I just loved the bush. I joined the Cubs at the age of eight, went right through to a Rover Scout as 23 and uh, just loved adventure and liked, quite happy to be by my own in the bush. I'd go drain crawling and crawl up drains right underneath Roseville. And I remember once I ended up under someone's backyard and there was a vent in the drain. I looked out and there was a woman having drinking a cup of tea. So I said, hello, and she dropped the cup of tea and screamed. So I raced back down the drain and they never knew who was there. Fantastic. Now, Brett, I'll ask you, uh, we'll start with, we'll talk about um, Dick and his uh, building electronic business, but you're sort of at the at the current end of it. Um, want to tell us about eSports and what, what eGen is? Yeah, we're an eSports and gaming consultancy business that largely helps audience businesses and brands get into video games and the sheer scale of video games at the moment is going crazy. In particular, since um, post-COVID, there's 2.2 billion gamers around the world and fans. Wow, okay. It's a $180 billion industry, which is significantly bigger than music and North American sport and entertainment combined. Um, but it's still in its kind of fledgling years for it to be brought into sort of the mass population to understand just how big it is. Well, and, and Dick, you saw the opportunity back in electronics, what, in 1976? Yeah, or? I opened the business in 1968. 68, okay. And, uh, and I remember I bought in one of the first video games. Yes. It was called Pong. <laughs> the <laughs> and, old Pong, the ping pong. Yeah, and yeah. it was so basic, it was so pathetic, but the amazing thing was I rang up Channel 10 and they ran it on the news that <laughs> night. And uh, when you look at it now, you can't believe how basic and how simple it was. And if someone said what was going to happen these days, I wouldn't believe it. And, and where do you think where do you think we are um, from a retail perspective in this country? It's it's really really tough for retailers now, now isn't it? Yeah, I think uh, Amazon is going to. I mean, globalization is staggering, and the reason uh, Jeff Bezos is so wealthy is that he's a brilliant businessman, and that's certainly the formula now where you have low overheads. 
no retail shops. In my days, it was all retail shops and lots of staff. You're sharing the wealth with lots of staff. These days, it's very few staff and incredibly wealthy owners. That worries me because I think with this incredible difference in wealth, we're going to have problems in the long term. We are definitely. I think we're seeing through COVID now too, the amount of people, Brad and I were talking just before the show, the amount of people that have been put off Worldwide, well, what was the yeah, I think it was four hundred million last year, and they said if the second wave of COVID um, is to be expected, and vaccine doesn't work to the right capacity, that could be another three hundred fifty million. I think it's a mix of your existing jobs that you've lost, and then having to retrain post COVID because the whole world has changed in the way that people are doing business. And I agree, businesses like Amazon are just eating up a lot of that. So it's a it's a it's a scary time. It is, yeah, definitely. So, so in, in layman's terms, what 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 is esports? So esports is like sport. Um, um, but in a digital forum. So, you know, we, we tend to talk about gaming being very broad with a very big population of players and then the more professional side of things, no, not dissimilar to you with your cricket career. There's a lot of kids that play cricket, but there's only a top echelon that can make it into the professional scene. And that's similar for esports. So there's big global esports competitions. We've gone from Pong on Channel 10 in 1982 to ESPN, for example, spending $100 million on rights for competitions like League of Legends. So it's come a long way. Um, and it's also quite COVID proof. We, we recently ran an esports competition in the Middle East from Sydney and we've never met the players. We've never met the commentators it all happened in a cloud wow. and we can still generate revenue through that without physical events and tickets and all of those sorts of things so yeah it's 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 an interesting time for sports rights and esports is at the tip of that Brad can you explain something to me because I'm really done I see my grandkids and they're playing games with someone overseas and everything but how do you make money out of it how are, are the players charged or how does that actually work so there's two kind of key revenue streams so the game creators sell the games and then they're selling a lot of things inside the game. They're called in-game cosmetics. So the way that you look in the game is quite different. That's where the main growth from this $180 billion industry is coming from. Then if you're a player, it's not dissimilar to becoming a professional sporting um, star. You're being paid to be on teams. You're being paid by sponsors. Um, You've got your own merchandise. I'm not sure if you've heard about NFTs. NFTs are going absolutely nuts in the sporting industry. It's the same happening in gaming. So releasing small pieces of video, blockchain encrypted pieces of content is it's a real thing, but not a real thing. So it's, it's kind of, it's it's a funny world. <laughs> Brad, you, and you said come a long way and, and Dick, you're at the start of it. So you started with Car Radio, is that correct? Yeah, I started the business. I had $610. Wow. I was a two-way radio serviceman. I have no qualifications, unfortunately, but I knew how to fix radios because I was a radio ham. And I loved building radio sets from about the age of eight. So it was my hobby. I was a bit of a nerd. And uh, one day, the company I was working for, Western Electronics, decided to stop servicing the Manly Cab radios. So I saw the chance and with $610, opened a little business called Dick Smith Electronics, fixing two-way radios and selling car radios. And I envisaged the height of success would have been three or four people working for me. So I had no plans of running a big business. I thought that was impossible. And what, what did you get to, people-wise? I think about 500 altogether. When I sold Dick Smith Electronics, it was doing about $50 million turnover and making really good profits. And uh, it was a great surprise to me. What I realised, I was quite good at putting systems in place and copying the success of others. And 
When people ask me for business clues, I say, do what I did. I bought the cheapest air ticket around the world and went and had a look at one company in in uh, America. This was before Radio Shack and Tandy. It was called Lafayette Electronics and it was selling electronic components. So I copied them. Another company in uh, England called uh, Henry Radio and they had a catalogue. So I copied the idea of the catalogue. And so I basically copied their ideas and was good at putting systems in place and that meant I could expand the business to 50 shops. Now, I, I want to just talk about your, your aviation adventures and your world records. Now, I'll just quickly read these off. The world records you've, you've held, uh, first solo transatlantic flight by helicopter, first solo circumnavigation by helicopter, first helicopter to the North Pole, first um, landing at both poles, first non-stop balloon crossing Australia and first east-west circumnavigation by helicopter and first trans-Tasman balloon flight. Amazing. <laughs> I'm amazed I'm still alive. <laughs> yeah. So, so talk, that must have been scary, like particularly, what were you flying, a one-engine yeah, helicopter? Yeah, the, the little solo helicopter flight around the world that had never been attempted before because you couldn't get across the Atlantic and the Russians wouldn't let you land. So I came up with the idea of putting some fuel on a ship and the ship was going, wait for it, it was going from Japan to uh, Seattle and when it was about halfway across the Pacific Ocean, I took off from the northern tip of Japan Japan, flew for seven hours and found the ship. Now, this was before GPS, and uh, I'd made up a, a, what we call a non-directional beacon, a radio transmitter, and I had a friend on the ship. He dangled the wire over the crane, and I managed to home in, found the ship. The ship's rolling around, and we're refueling the, the helicopter. And then I flew another uh, seven hours to Alaska, and it was equivalent to flying from Sydney to Auckland across the Tasman with a ship halfway. So I was very lucky to find the ship. In fact, when I look back on my adventures, I've been incredibly lucky because if I'd had an engine failure on many of them, I wouldn't be here today. Yeah, we're talking about that just before off air about the um, Malaysian Airlines thing and, and what happened there. Like, But, yeah, so were there any moments where you thought – this could be the end? Uh, numerous times. I was so scared. I remember thinking if I can finish this leg, when I land, I'll come up with some excuse and put the helicopter on a ship and send it home because I was so frightened, especially crossing the Atlantic. Coming down the coast of Burma, I got into rain that was so heavy, it was like flying in a waterfall. And I managed to get the helicopter down on a beach. That's the advantage of helicopter. And I... I waited there for about 20 minutes and then the rain lifted and in front of me was a headland I would have run straight into. So I've been incredibly lucky. I say to people I owe my life to North American technology because all of the aircraft I've bought, I've always been wealthy enough to buy the best. So I bought brand new aeroplanes. The Bell Jet Ranger was the most reliable in the world. The Cessna Caravan, I've been twice around the world in, is very reliable. And the Sikorsky S-76 is one of the best helicopters. So by buying very reliably well-made North American equipment, I haven't had any engine failures or bits going wrong, and that's one of the reasons I'm here today. I'm touching wood as we, as we speak, because I know you still fly three times a week, you said. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to ask you a question about your, um, growing up at school, and, and I read that um, you said you weren't great at school. Um, so how do you go from – not being great at school to flying helicopters around the world and, and building a very successful business. 
It's a long story, and some people have to buy my book, which yeah. comes out in October. What's it, what, what's it going to be called, Dick? I think it's called Dick Smith. I, I like the name Fun Way to a Fortune, but the publishers, Alan Nunwin, I think they want to call it a memoir or something like that. But uh, it tells the story of basically how I was hopeless at school. I had a speech defect, so I used to call myself Dick Miff. And because I couldn't say yes, and uh, I got I was forty fifth out of forty seventh in fifth class at primary school, but eventually I managed to do okay, and I got a job in a factory, and really all my friends went off to university and did electrical engineering, and I was a, quite a boffin when it came to radio and electronics, but I was hopeless at schoolwork. And then I got a job in a factory and uh, one day when that factory decided they weren't going to fix the two-way radios from Manly Cabs, I started the business and uh, never turned back. I had success with Dick Smith Electronics, which I sold to Woolworths. Then I started Australian Geographic magazine and made a lot of money out of that and sold that. And then Dick Smith Foods, I ran that like Paul Newman Foods, that was to give money to charity. And I think we gave about $11 million away. So I've had three business careers in my life. All right. So we're having a nice, um, very healthy lunch here um, at Dick Smith's house, which is very nice of Dick to host us today. And um, we just had a wonderful tour of his hangar and his helicopter, which is um, which is amazing to see, actually. So we've got some nice, healthy sandwiches here. And we're going to have a cup of tea today and some water. And we might have an O'Brien beer later on. As a professional sports person, I knew the value of a good coach, and being a business owner is no different. With the Business Coach from Growth Workshop, you can build the business you've always dreamed of, a valuable business that runs by itself. If you need to take control of your future with a winning strategy, Growth Workshop specializes in improving your cash flow, developing sales and marketing strategies to drive revenue, and getting those ideas out of your head into an action plan. Growth Workshop will help you develop a business plan and achieve your financial goals with regular guidance from our experienced team. Whether you want to drive revenue with a new marketing strategy or put the right team and systems in place, we'll help you free up from the day-to-day and allow you to grow your business. We can help. Get in touch with Growth Workshop Business Coaching at growthworkshop.com.au to book in for your no-obligation strategy session. Growth Workshop, turning your good idea and hard work into a valuable asset. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great-tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves your back. Hey Brad, so if a young kid's listening now and have heard that Dick didn't necessarily do well at school, but he's, he's become very successful, kids now in the gaming world, they can make millions, the good ones. Yeah, they can from a competitive perspective, but also there's a huge progression around job, job, job creation, UI, UX, STEM-related. Um, we've got a, probably a lack of online education courses in Australia, and I think the opportunity, and I'm keen to get your thoughts on this as well, Dick, but where do you think we sit from an online education and evolution of you know STEM-related coding um, um, subject matter um, within the Australian education system? You know what? It's something that I have no expertise on, so I really don't know. I'd say we probably don't 
don't set too well by the sound of it. And uh, most, you know, most Australian governments are pretty conservative and tend to follow what's going on, but not quick enough. And uh, I, what I would suggest anyone in that field is get your air ticket, go overseas. Of course, it's a lot easier now. You can just go on the internet and see mostly what's happening, but copy the success of others and just do it a bit better. That was my formula. And uh, that can certainly be done in any field. Because I think that's what's happening with us from a business perspective is probably 95% of the work we're doing is offshore. And it's sad because you want to see this kind of ecosystem grow within Australia, but we're having to do so much work overseas in order for that to be successful. Um, there are some progressive companies within Australia, but you know we're, we are an island by, by, by you know, physical and uh, metaphoric in some instances. So there are less opportunities for players, for example, to play on a global scene within Southeast Asia, which is a hotbed for gaming. North America's is going through the roof. So, um, you know, it's, we, we really want bigger brands and bigger audience companies to come through the ranks to try and help this ecosystem out, I guess. But I've, I've got three kids. Uh, Zara's 12, Abby's 10, Thomas is five. And I'm constantly saying that's enough screen get time. Off the- <laughs> get off the bloody computers and get outside and, and run around. Um, and there's a real issue now and with mental health and um, the stats are saying that tips for tweens and teens that um, – the abuse of drugs and alcohol is actually decreasing, yeah. Whilst um, mental, mental health, health is, mental is doubling, yeah. Is is the f- screen time part of that? And, and what are your thoughts around yeah. this? I mean, the World Health Organization in 2018 came out and said gaming is a mental health disorder, and then in 2019, end of and early 20, when COVID hit, they said it's the last bastion for social distancing, and we've got to do it. And that was because people were needing to stay at home, and they were worried about getting too close. The the issue that was happening with that was um, lack of communication with friends, um, staying home too much, and starting to get a little bit depressed. So gaming was that bastion, and still is in many markets where you can't get out nearly as freely as what we can within Australia, to still be able to communicate with friends to get some downtime but then there's the counterbalance that you're spending too much time doing that and not thinking about your career online education and what what you know the future roles are going to look like with such significant increases in unemployment post-covid I think it's so new, we're not going to know for a couple of generations just whether there are great problems or not great problems. Yeah, okay. Yeah, good point. Well said. And Dick, you've been um, uh, quite forward with um, funding kids around educated risk and I think you use a different term. Yeah, I call it responsible risk-taking. Responsible risk-taking. In, yeah. in other words, getting kids to look at um, potentially doing things outside the box. Absolutely. I'm very much worried about what we call helicopter parenting, where yeah. the parents are hovering over the kids and protecting them. And I look well, you back, had no choice, but did you? Yeah. You are flying well, a helicopter. Well, exactly right. <laughs> but I was so lucky as a kid because my parents let me take risk. And I used to go hitchhiking everywhere. No one does that anymore. And I remember the scoutmaster would go away for scout camp, so he was a builder and he would arrive with his truck and 30 scouts would climb on the back of the truck with the great big wooden patrol boxes and the tent poles and he'd drive us up the Blue Mountains. We'd all be yelling and shouting and screaming, not a seatbelt in sight. <laughs> now imagine that is just not allowed today. In 1964, as a 19-year-old, I was in the scouts as a rover and I organised a sailing expedition to Ball's Pyramid, this in the highest sea spire in the world to the south of Lord Howe Island off the coast of Australia. And we sailed out and we attempted to climb, we failed. Incredibly risky. We had to swim on and grab hold of a ledge. There are no beaches. It's this huge rock spire, three times the height of the TV towers, straight out of the ocean. Now, I did that with our rover crew, our scout crew, just by telling the scout master, oh, by the way, I've organised this trip. We're going sailing. Today, that would never be allowed. No. Because the, the scouting movement could be held liable, someone could be sued, and so it wouldn't be allowed. Wow, mate. 
If you're a lover of sport, why not check out another podcast of mine, Afternoon Sport. With Tim Gilbert and I, do a deep dive and bring you daily podcasts jam-packed with top-quality guests from sports people to former champions and administrators. Check it out. Afternoon Sport. Sport with thought. Um, Brad, what do uh, you, you think with the whole the gaming thing we'll ever see, like an Olympics of gaming? Yeah, so 2024, they're talking to the IOC still about as an exhibition sport, which generally then transitions to the next one to be a legitimate sport. It's hard. Video games are owned by companies and sport isn't owned by a company Uh per se. So that's a big juts. And then then the other idea is that you just do an e-Olympics and a a whole e-sports version of Olympics as a separate um, body. Yep. So in some instances, you're not having to work with the IOC, which have their own challenges. So it's almost like FIFA kind of situation. So in my opinion, I don't have one really, whether it should go into the Olympics or its own version, either will happen and happen pretty soon. I, I agree with you. It'll definitely happen. Yeah, no doubt. No yeah. doubt yeah. And what were the stats you're saying on, on Twitch, is it? Yeah, so Twitch is like a live streaming platform. Probably your grandkids would know of it. It's, it's where you don't game. It's where you watch. And there was 1,100 billion minutes watched on that last year alone um, in a year. So I think Netflix has got 195 million subs. Um, Twitch, which is an Amazon-owned business. Here we go again, Mr. Bezos, um, <laughs> has 150 million um, monthly active users. So it's just, you know, gaming now isn't just about playing. It's a significant amount of view time as well. Taking away from traditional sport, traditional linear um, audience companies, um, all of that sort of thing. And at a generational level, pretty much the vast majority of it's under the age of 28. So it is kind of the new world order of entertainment. We just got to kind of get into it a little bit more. Dick, do you think um, Australia's changed much in the last 20 or 30 years? Like, do you think we've, have we fallen behind in a lot of areas? I think we've changed tremendously. And, and I think one of the things is the responsible risk taking has been stopped. Yeah. Especially with young people, they just can't take the risk. I'll give you an example. I grew up learning to climb on the Three Sisters in um, the Blue Mountains. Well, that's now banned. You're not allowed to climb there. Uh, one of the best things I ever did was climb Ayers Rock. Fantastic. Go to Ayers Rock, climb the top. That's now banned. And so, and uh, I mentioned. Ball's Pyramid, that's been banned. You can't climb. And so there are bureaucrats who just run around putting in restrictions all the time and that's really bad because the spirit you need to start a business to become an entrepreneur, you need to be a risk taker. And uh, we should be encouraging what I call responsible risk-taking, the irresponsible risk-taking drugs and things like that, but going out and rock climbing and adventuring, especially if you've learned how to do it, it's relatively safe, not perfectly safe, because anything that's perfectly safe is so boring, I wouldn't even want to think about it. I was actually in Lord Howe Island December with my wife for my 10-year wedding anniversary, and we climbed Goat's Cave. Oh, yes, which the is Goat House. The Goat House, so, yep. yeah, sorry. That was very challenging, but super rewarding, as you said, you know, a little bit sketchy, you're holding onto ropes and all of that sort of stuff and we weren't proficient in that space. It was one of the most amazing things we've done. Did you see Ball's Pyramid at all? Yeah, we did. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Isn't yeah. that fantastic? That's, um, Lord Howe Island, just next level. Yeah. I, by the way, I went back and climbed that in 1980 and uh, after that it, it was banned so you can't climb it anymore. But And that's bureaucrats trying to protect people from murdering themselves. They'll tell you it's for conservation purposes. Yeah, okay, gotcha. But it's really just bureaucrats trying to control and uh, it's so sad because if I was a young person today, it would really affect me. Yeah, I think the stat is now, I think Sydney is now the second most litigious state, county, province outside of uh, California, I think, in the world, which just makes it really, really hard to do things. Dick, if you had to pick one uh, 
one thing you're most proud of? What, what would you say? I know you've done, you've done a million things. Oh, most proud of – well, I think creating Dick Smith Electronics and employing thousands of people, one of the most pleasing things that happens to me is that people come up to me in the street and they say, oh, Dick, I want to shake your hand. I, and they say, I used to go to your shops when I was young and I bought the fun way to electronics books and I started building the kits. And they're looking at me as if I'm sort of some type of electronic genius. Of course, I'm not. I'm completely unqualified. Then they tell me, oh, yes, I now have a PhD in rocket engineering. And I meet these people who have got these incredible qualifications from the little Funway book, which I wrote with some colleagues to get people into electronics. So that makes me really feel good. Well, I have a lot of school parents that listen to the, this podcast. And um, I'll ask you both the same question. Dick, what advice would you give to a young kid that wants to come through either to be um, go into adventure or in, into, say, electronics? What advice would you give them? Well, the most advice I give is copy the success of others and ask advice. So they're my two success points. And so as a young person, I'd look around. Normally, you don't want to take much notice of your parents. Of course, they don't know anything. We all know <laughs> of course, that. That's right. But in my particular case, I had a girlfriend whose dad was really wealthy. Back in the 1960s, he owned a boat, he owned a plane, and he owned an Alfa Romeo, which was a big deal. So I knew that he was a successful businessman. So I used to ask him advice. So my suggestion to people is, first of all, you can't be good at everything. People will tell you you can be good at anything you want to be. That's not true. We're all good at something. So what you've got to decide is what you're good at and then – ask advice and copy the success of others in that field and that's sort of my success force I talk about. That's well said. And, and Brad, what would you say if a young kid wanted to go into either media or into the gaming side of the of esports? Yeah, it, it's very much a front of house and back of house situation. It's yep. all well and good to play lots of video games and think you're good at it, yep. but you should also go down the education route. There's enough, um, you know, uh, lessons and different certificates that you can get nowadays. There's a, there's a town in China in Guangzhou, it's called Esports Town, where you can actually get diplomas and certificates. So okay. it's getting that professional. There is a business behind it, and and just go there. Don't don't waste your time playing too many video games, but but obviously enjoy sure yourself so. at the same time. And Dick, uh, I want to ask you quickly: what um, three kids? What's a place around the world I should be taking my kids? A, a must see. Uh, must see. Alaska is fantastic okay. uh, because I love flying and yeah. every, everyone flies in Alaska. Antarctica is the best place to go to because it's an incredible place because the wildlife is tame. And so you go down, you can – normally the best place is to go to South America and you yep. go on a boat which only takes a couple of days across Drake Passage. Then you'll land on these beaches and there's all these rules. You're not allowed to go within, I think it's 10 metres of penguins and sea lions. And that. But luckily the penguins don't know the rules. <laughs> so you just sit on the beach and the these incredible uh, tame birds will walk past you and the sea lions will come up, the sea elephant seals. And to me, Antarctica is a magnificent place. It's never really been colonised. It's sort of international territory and uh, the wildlife is tame. And another quick question, where, where do you get all your energy from? <laughs> You've got amazing energy. Look, I, I tell people that I'm an enthusiast, but not everyone is enthusiastic all the time. I go up and down, yeah. as most people. Yep. And so that's something that you have to really challenge yourself to make sure that, especially if you're creating a business and motivating people, you have to be enthusiastic. Well, I want to thank you both for, for coming on the podcast. Um, Dick, it is an absolute honour to meet you, mate. You're, uh, you're an pleasure. Australian legend. Um, you've always fought for the Aussie battler, and we really do appreciate that. And uh, you, you, you make us proud to be Aussies, mate. And, um, and Brad, thanks for coming on the show. And it's good to see the sort of um, 
the sort of the whole field now where, where Dick sort of started in electronics and, and what it's evolved into. And um, I really appreciate you both coming on the show. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Thanks, Dick. Thanks, Dan. That's it for Lunch With Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to our guests, Dick Smith and Brad Timmons. Thanks to Hilton Headley for your hard work behind the scenes and making things happen. And thanks to our sponsors, Growth Workshop Business Coaching, Spartan Sports and O'Brien Beer. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And do us a favour, hit five stars. And while you're there, if you're passionate, leave a review. And come check us out on our socials. I'm at Lunch With Lee. Next week, we'll be chatting some more complete legends about music, sport and business on another cracker episode of Lunch With Lee. We'll see you then. <laughs>